We're going to continue in the Gospel of John. We're 19 weeks in on chapter 8. Come on, somebody. Can you say slow walk? (laughs) I'm loving it. Uh, It's it's been great. This morning, I want to jump right into the the Gospel of John chapter 8. And the title of my message is From Shame to Surrender. From Shame to Surrender. I just want to... kind of give you this before I get into the message. Shame is not always a bad thing. Shame in a moment can actually awaken yourself or awaken you to realize I'm in sin, I failed, I've made a mistake, I did something hurtful. That shame can actually grab your attention and lead you into a place of repentance and confession and all that. But the trick is, is that shame doesn't like to be temporary. Shame wants to be permanent in your life. So though it can be used for good, it can also be used for bad. And I'm afraid that too many of us live with too much shame from our past. And we're having a difficult time outliving or getting away or shaking off our shame. And so today I hope to help you with a story that Jesus was involved in. John chapter 8, verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. If you remember, this was at the end of the festival, the last and greatest day. Jesus, last week's message was rivers of living water will flow from within you. I brought the water cooler up. It was all cool. I, got, I drank plenty of water. I was hydrated last Sunday when the message was over with. And, and, and so Jesus didn't want to go to the festival, but he did. He snuck in and he stayed on the perimeter. And then all of a sudden, the last day of the festival, he gets up and he makes this incredible statement And then he goes away to to pray, and then he comes back early the next morning. Verse 2, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. You might ought to underline that. Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone." Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, which is interesting, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Here's her only response. No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Wow. Anybody ever get caught up in defending yourself? Anybody have a bad habit of justifying your actions? (laughs) 
All she said was, no, Lord. Hmm. So Jesus is teaching the crowd. The Pharisees and the religious teachers come up with a woman who the Bible says was caught in the act of adultery. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. Being caught in the act of adultery was punishable by death. If you were caught committing adultery, you could be put to death. It, 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 it called for the death sentence. Was the death sentence, the death penalty was the penalty for being caught in adultery. The only tricky thing was there wasn't a lot of people that were actually killed for committing adultery because in order to, to convict somebody of committing adultery, you had to have at least two eyewitnesses who saw the act happening. So it was rare that somebody would actually catch someone, especially two people, catch someone committing adultery. Like it, 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 it gives the language like actually had to see it happening. But now all of a sudden they got a woman who was caught in the act of adultery with two eyewitnesses and they bring her into this crowd that is formed around Jesus and they bring her to the front of the crowd. They would have walked her down this aisle and brought her here and Jesus would have been sitting here teaching and they would have said, Teacher, she's been caught in the act of, of adultery. The law of Moses says she must be put to death. What do you say? Can you say shame? It doesn't tell us how the woman was dressed. It doesn't tell us what kind of uh, countenance she has. It gives the, the understanding that she was drug into this because I promise you she didn't want to be brought in front of a crowd to be accused of committing adultery. She didn't walk in happy. She didn't come in glad. She was drug in and placed in front of everybody. It gives the understanding that she was almost thrown on the floor. And they look to Jesus and they say, the law of Moses says she should be put to death. What do you say? And Jesus pulls a good one. He goes. <clears throat> Which I find interesting. Who was the lowest person in the room that day? Who was the most shame-filled person in that room that day? The woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus stooped low with the lowest one in the room. And he rode in the dirt, in the dust. And they demanded, they kept on demanding that he answer. And then finally, he stood in the face of the accusers, and he said, okay, whoever is without sin, you can cast the first stone. And then he pulls another good one. And he stoops low with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and he's writing in the dust. And the Bible says that one by one, they walked out. Oldest to youngest. 
This woman was scared to death. Like she, she, was, she knew she was literally about to die. What's funny is, is that the woman was brought in, but the man wasn't brought in. And all the ladies said, uh-huh. What's up with that preacher man? I didn't write the scriptures, y'all. And I didn't drag the woman in the church or into the building to, to accuse her. I, it wasn't me. Then Jesus stands up again and he says to the woman, where's your accusers? After they all walked out. Who, who's going to condemn you? Has anyone condemned you? No? Shame is a Shame is a beast. Shame can be like a quiet assassin. It can be like a, a slow leaky pipe in your house that you don't notice until one day you fall through the floor. Shame can be something that you spend too much time wondering why you keep getting held back in things. And shame can be that thing, but it doesn't always identify itself. Shame can be the thing that you kill yourself trying to outwork and out-earn. And you don't even know why. You, you don't even realize it, but you're, you're, you're striving and you're working and you're, you're, you're trying and you're, you're, you're doing everything in your physical, natural power to outdo the shame as if to say, I can outwork my sin. As if to, to like, I don't know how we get these belief systems, but somehow or another we do, and we get this belief that if I sin, instead of going to the Father with my sin, I'm going to stay here, keep it to myself, let it mess me up on the inside, and then try to earn my way out of it. And it's, and it's this weird, funky thing that keeps you imprisoned for longer than you're supposed to be imprisoned. So shame can knock you down to where you can never lift your head again and you give up on life. Or shame can be the driving force that makes you sacrifice everything on the altar of, I got to out-earn my shame. It's tricky. And, and, and at the same time, it can be used to bring your attention to your failure, but only for a moment to bring you to Jesus so that he can cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's why I love what 1 John says. He says, confess your sins to Jesus. He's faithful to forgive you, but watch this, and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The unrighteousness he's cleansing you from is where the shame comes from. But instead of going to Jesus with our sin and with our, our failures and our mistakes and all these other things, we, we have this natural tendency to try to hide it, to bury it, to justify it, to blame shift it, to give it away to somebody else. That wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't me. I can't own this. I can't take any more shame. I can't live with it. It was their fault. It was their fault. And you become a victim. And you spend your whole life living out of a victim mindset. Everybody owes me something. 
I've been dealt a bad hand. It's everybody else's fault. If I would have had bad, better parents. She's literally caught in the act. And she's brought before the crowd. Can you say shame? When I was growing up, one of the catchphrases or the most commonly used phrases around school and even at home was when you did something wrong, people would say shame on you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. I'm not going to get into the message today, but there's power in your words, right? And, and I, I heard my, most of my life, shame on you. Shame didn't make the right grade. Shame on you. Shame. Now I'm like, bro, quit it with the shame game. Like, you can keep your shame. Don't pass it to me. What was that kid's game we would play where uh, you say something to me, it, it doesn't bounce off of it bounces off of me, it sticks on you. What's that? Somebody say it. I'm rubber, you're glue. What you say bounces off of me and it sticks up. That's, I'm, I'm playing that game today. <laughs> Shame on you, Pastor James. No, no, no. Oh, no. I ain't taking that. The definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's the painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So when you become conscious of your own foolish behavior, you feel humiliated and distressed. Here's a million-dollar question. What do you do? What do you do? You personally. What do you do when you experience shame? What is your next course of action? So when you sin or you blow it, however you want to wordsmith it, what do you do when your conscious becomes aware of your sin and shame comes, and there's that painful, distressful, what do you do when the pain of shame comes? What do you do when the, the pain of distress comes? What do you do? What is your next course of action? Do you try to, to create a cover-up? Do you plan your excuses? Do you work on your lies? Or do you run to the Father? Oh, man, listen, we got to teach our kids how to deal with shame. As parents, when we blow it, we need to be the first ones to go to our kids on our knees and apologize for blowing it. And not just keep apologizing and keep apologizing because that will end up doing more damage than if you would have just apologized and then repented and turned from those bad actions. Come on, somebody. We should be leading in this area. Do you suppress your shame? Deny your shame? Blame shift your shame? Run and hide from your shame? Or do you come clean?
Do you know most of the church today is inactive? Like actively advancing the kingdom, they're inactive, and it's mostly due to shame. Which if you actually think about it for a minute and you start to unpack that some, Jesus says in 1 John that when you sin, come to me. It's an invitation. Come to me, confess it, I'll forgive it, and then I'll cleanse you. So the church, capital C, church Christians, have the only way out of shame on the planet. Think about it. We should never walk around with shame. No longer than we need to. The older I'm getting as a Christian, the more mature I'm getting as a Christian, the faster I leave shame behind. I wish I could tell you I don't sin anymore. That would be a sin. (laughs) Word. (laughs) But when I sin, I don't like the shame that comes with it. So I get faster at getting away from shame. What, what do you want to explain that? I get faster at going to Jesus with my shame. I can sin and in the next second repent. I can sin and in the next second confess. Come on, I can do that. The scriptures tell me I can do that. Jesus leaves the door open for me to do that. So I don't have to walk around condemned and shamed any longer than I'm supposed to. That's a privilege. That's a blessing for me. Amen? Now, it's not an excuse to keep on sinning. And this is what most people don't understand, that when I get good at going to Jesus with my sin, I get a revelation that his love is deeper than I ever could have imagined. Because I know my pattern of sin and the, and the, and the, and the sequence of it and the consistency of my sin. I know how often my sin happens. And every time I go to Jesus with it, I experience forgiveness and cleansing, which is grace and mercy. And I go, oh my gosh, like, like I can't out-sin Jesus. But why do we have a hard time with that? Why do we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that? Jesus told Peter, he said, because Peter said, how many times I got to forgive the brother? 70 times seven. Dang. Pulled off his sandal. One, two, three. (laughs) Why do we have a hard time with that? You see, when you realize, the more you realize how much mercy and grace Jesus has, that's what he went to the cross for. When you realize the depth of it all and how much love he has for you, you don't want to sin anymore. You don't want to sin from a heart that's already satisfied with the love that you just received from going to him with the sin you just committed. Uh oh. You call it that? Anybody call it that? Hmm. The fastest, most painless way to deal with your shame is to own it 
and then deal with it with the right people. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. The fastest, most painless way to deal with your shame is to own it and then deal with it with the right people. The fastest way to get clean is to first strip away the coverings. If you're still hiding behind excuses and victimization and all these other things, you're not getting fully clean. It's kind of like the Band-Aid. Just, just rip the Band-Aid. Just rip it. But it's going to hurt. Just rip it. The faster you rip it, the faster the pain goes away. Now, let me just show you a dark side of all this, because there is a dark side where people abuse God's grace and they abuse his mercy. I, I know people who, who don't, don't like to get caught. It's not that they don't like to sin. They just don't like to get caught. And sometimes those people will be quick to confess and apologize to get it out the way so that they, 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 the attention doesn't stay and they don't have to get open up and get deep about it. So they'll, they'll hurt and confess it to hurt and make it go away because they, they're not repentant. They just don't like to get caught. I just don't want to get caught. One of the things I love about Jesus' character is that he's not afraid to get low with the sinner. He's not afraid to get around the leper. He's not afraid to stand at the entry to a grave of a man who's been dead for four days. He's not afraid to put his hands on a blind man. He's not afraid to walk down to a pool and pick some guy who's been crippled his whole life and give him the ability to walk again. Jesus is one of the, the, the most beautiful parts of his characteristic of his character is that he's not afraid to get low with the low people. You know who's always been there at the bottom of my failure? Jesus. Jesus has always been at my lowest place. No matter how bad it was, no matter how many people I hurt, Jesus is the one who always shows up. And he's not afraid to get into the mess of my life and give me a reason to stand again. That being said, Jesus is also not afraid to stand up and get in the face of my accuser. You heard me? He's not afraid to stand against my accuser. 
get low with me in my lowest place, but then also stand against the ones who are accusing me or the accuser himself. Jesus is not afraid of the accuser, and he's not afraid of what people think about him when he gets low with the sinner. There's got to be a reason he's like that. Why is Jesus that way? Because I don't know too many other people that way. Because even as a Christian, when somebody falls, there's this natural tendency that comes up inside. I'm just going to confess. There's this natural tendency that comes up inside of me that goes, you need to put a little distance between you and them because you don't need that to mess up this. And uh, and that's not Jesus. That's Jamie. Jesus gets low. And I'm asking Jesus to teach me how to get low with the people who are low. Why is Jesus like that? What makes Jesus that way? I think one reason is because of his great love for us. He loves what the Father loves. And if we love the Father, then we're going to have to also love what he loves. Which means you can't have anything against those that have wasted their life, those that have made all the stupid decisions in the world, those that are taking advantage of the government, those that are doing all the stupid things you could ever do. If I love God, I got to love what God loves. The goal is not to stand and condemn them. The goal is to get low with them and teach them and help them discover that there's a Jesus who's full of mercy and full of grace who loves you and he's long-suffering and he wants you to stand up. Listen to me. He knows how to get you away from sin. He is my deliverer. Come on. I love that about Jesus. He's got this great love for me. And then he's got this great amount of mercy that I haven't found the end of. And it's this grace that I just go, how much longer can your grace go for me? How much longer? Up to this point, everyone is talking about the sinner. But no one is talking to the sinner. How much time do we spend talking about the sinner instead of talking to the sinner? So once the accusers leave, Jesus talks to the sinner. He tells her three things that I think are pretty profound. He asks her one question, where are your accusers and did any of them condemn you? And her only response is, no, Lord. I mean, think about it. That's all she said. No. (laughs) No. No. And Jesus says, he says basically three things to her. He says, neither do I. Wow. Neither do I. In other words, he's saying to her, I am not condemning you either. 
Then he says this, he says, go. Do you know what Jesus is telling you when he's reminding you that he's not condemning you? His next thing he's going to tell you is to go. Go where? Keep going where I got you going. Don't let this sin be your excuse to stop going. Ah, you got to get this. Sin wants to stop you in your tracks. Jesus wants you to keep going. He was fully aware that you were going to sin, so he gave you the ability in 1 John to deal with your sin so that you would keep going. He doesn't want you to stop. Where am I going, Pastor? I'm going into his will. I'm going into his purpose. I'm going into his mission. I'm going to build the kingdom, not my kingdom. I'm not going to sit in this pit of shame any longer than I need to because there's people dying and going to hell all around me and my mission is to go go he's telling her don't stay on the floor don't stay right here don't give up go I'm not condemning you go but boy sin can sure be like a Jake break on an 18 wheeler huh If y'all don't know what that is, when you hear an 18-wheeler making a crazy noise, it's called a jake break. All the wonderful things you learn at our Savior's Church. (laughs) Jesus said to go. Then the third thing he tells her, and sin no more. (laughs) Listen to me. She got caught in the act. Like the eyewitnesses were the eyewitnesses. (laughs) They witnessed with their eyes. She was caught in the act. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and don't do that again. Wait, what? No punishment? No penance? No Hail Marys? Like, I think sometimes we just want something easier to do. Like, can I just give you some Hail Marys and some, some Shandanas and some Kitabas and, and we move on? Like, can I just, like, have a couple bad days and then, like, get rid of all this? Like, we feel like we got to pay some kind of penalty for something. <laughs> Don't make plans to sin more. Don't do this again. You've been liberated from the penalty of your sin. Ah. While the religious leaders knew the thrill of exercising the power to condemn, Jesus knew the thrill of exercising the power to forgive. And let me tell you something, there's more power in forgiveness than there is in condemnation. Did you hear me? There's more power in forgiveness than there is in condemnation. That's why the Bible stresses that we must forgive others or we ourselves will not be forgiven. Why is that? Because there's more power in forgiveness than there is in condemnation. She was at the point of losing everything, literally, including her life. And instead, she gets off free, free of charge. Romans 8 says this, Paul, Paul taught this. He said, Romans 8, 1, it says, so now there is no condemnation, say no condemnation, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, 
The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I'm going to read that again. Because some of you got to get that. And because you belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit that you received when you belonged to Jesus has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I heard an old Billy Graham message this past week, and he was going off on, in typical Billy Graham fashion, he was going off on this topic that we're talking about. And he made this statement. He said, Jesus will never punish you for your sin. And I went, hold up, so hold up. Say what? Jesus will never punish you for your sin. I'm going to let that sit right there for a minute. Because that's coming against some of your belief systems. Jesus will never punish you for your sin. Wait, what? Why then every time I sin, I'm expecting some punishment to come? He said, Jesus will never punish you for your sin because he already paid for your sin. He did not say that Jesus, he did not say that you would not be punished for your sin. Because you live in a world where there's rules and regulations and laws. So go speed and you're going to get punished for your sin. (laughs) Right? You mean speeding's a sin? (laughs) I pay penance all the time now. How are you going to walk out of here with that? Because the scriptures tell us that Jesus paid for our sin. In fact, Romans 8 said there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Do you believe that or not? We say yes, but how many of us live under condemnation? How many of us have learned how to try to thrive in a, in a life of shame? Where we never forget our past. It's always something I'm dragging around with me. Like an old limp leg. Just, oh, I used to could run, but I can't run no more. I got to carry this shame with me. Jesus never desires for, for believers to be condemned. Remember when we get to heaven, there's going to be a judgment for every believer. The great white throne judgment. You're going to be judged according to what you did, good or bad, while you're on the planet. And the Bible says that you'll be rewarded accordingly. 
if Jesus paid for your sin, who are you paying for your sins to? Who are you sending the check to? He either paid for them or he didn't. So if he paid for them and there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, then who am I sending this check to? Who am I doing this work for? Who am I trying to out-earn my sin for? So how do we walk away from shame? You ever wonder, how do I get away from shame? How do I get away? John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more. This was right after the ordeal with the woman. He spoke to the people once more and he said these words. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. So Jesus is saying several things here that are worth unpacking. It's three points. I'm going to give them to you. Number one, he is the light of the world. Why did he tell us that? So that we wouldn't have to look for light anywhere else. Don't waste your time trying to find light in a dark world. The only light in this world is Jesus himself. There will never be another source of light for your life. You can do right the rest of your life, and you still won't have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the only light in this world. He wanted to be crystal clear about that to us. He's trying to help us understand who he is so that we can know who we are following. If Jesus is the only light in a dark world, when things get dark for us, where should we go? To Google? You going to Google that? Where should we go? Into hiding? He's telling us that there's not another source of light like he is. Number two, he says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Now, this is the conditional part of all this. This is where the Bible makes you uncomfortable because it's got this big old word, if. If has killed many a Christians. <laughs> if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. So if you follow him, you walk in light. If you don't follow him, you walk in darkness. The if is up to you. Come on. It's up to you. I follow as close as I want to. And as close as I believe, I'm welcomed. I follow Jesus as close as I 
want to, and there's people who want to follow Jesus closer, but you don't believe that you're welcome to. So it's either a want to issue or it's a welcome to issue. But whatever the issue is, you need to deal with the issue. If you don't want to follow Jesus closer than you are now, then you need to unpack that with the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor who can help you understand what's blocking your want to. Because the last time I read the scriptures, it tells us that Jesus even helps us with the desire to please him. Which means this, if I don't feel it, he'll even help me feel it. I fell out of love with Jesus. Good. He'll help you fall back in love with him. If. What if the best way to walk away from sin is to walk well with Jesus? Sometimes shame is consistent in our lives because we struggle to walk away from it. We struggle to walk away from sin. If we're struggling to walk away from sin, there's a deeper issue. Because if you're a believer, the power of that sin, the spirit of sin, has been broken off of you. Which means this, you don't have to anymore. So what's the issue? Is sin really my issue? Or is following Jesus my issue? Because you got a full-time enemy who's trying to convince you that your sin is your greatest issue. Because if he can magnify your sin in front of you, then that's the only thing you see is your sin. If he can discourage you from following Jesus, then, he, then he's keeping you where? In darkness. So what's the greatest issue? It's not my sin. It's not the greatest issue. My want to or my welcome to follow Jesus is my greatest issue. And all you got to do is just get real honest with yourself. Stop faking it. Stop acting like you all out in a bag of chips. Because if we was all following Jesus like we're supposed to, this world would be a different place. Right? So how about we just get real honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I got some want-to issues. Or maybe you got the want-to, but you got some welcome-to issues. And whichever one it is, bring those issues to Jesus and let him deal with them. And all he's going to do is speak truth over it. He's not going to crack you in the head and condemn you. Like the devil would tell you, oh, you better not bring that to Jesus. He's going to knock you across the head. It's like when I call a meeting with somebody, I'll get Lisa to schedule a meeting with somebody. She'll schedule a meeting and go, are we in trouble? I'm like, golly, is that my reputation? Like, man, I'm trying, y'all. I'm trying to be nice. Like, God. But the enemy will try to convince you that your sin is your major issue. But what if it's not? What if it's your proximity to Jesus? Psalms 119, verses 9 to 11, some of my life verses, it says this, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. 
Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart. Watch this. That I might not sin against you. It says I've hidden your word in my heart that I might, might not sin. If you ain't hiding this word in your heart, you ain't even got a might. What is his word? It's what he's saying to us. What is this book? It's his letter to you. But I don't hear God. Read out loud. You'll hear God. It's been eight years since I heard God. Well, quit reading in silence. Read out loud. Get the you version. A professional will read to you. You can even get one that sounds like God. I, don't, I guess. But it's like, whatever. Just read out loud. It's his words to us. It's hard to follow him if you don't hear him. He said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. What do they know? His voice. Amen? So your choice to stay close to Jesus is your choice to stay in the light. If you don't like darkness, get out. Can it be that simple, Pastor? Yes. Get out. You choose to follow him, that's your choice to walk in light. Number three. He said you will... You will have the only light that leads to life. You see, when we follow Jesus well, we actually walk in his light. Consistent walking in his light is what leads to life. The problem with most of us is we walk for a minute, but then we stop. And guess what's right there? Your sin, your shame, your condemnation. It's waiting for you to come home. What's the problem? You just hadn't walked far enough. You haven't walked long enough. You haven't walked consistently enough. So as you walk consistently in his light, you walk further and further away from old sin. So stop trying to quit sinning and start trying to walk with Jesus better. Can we just flip the script on this thing and put the priority in the right place? Like, like not, the focus is to not quit sinning. That's not my focus. It's a goal, but it's not my focus. Because the only way to quit sinning is to walk in the light. So what should be my focus? Walking in the light. So divorce your sin, tell it goodbye, and walk in the light. Many of us struggle to be consistent, and could it be because of what we feed our spirit? 
How many of you would agree there's a whole lot of distractions right now? I don't know if these distractions are going away. I don't even know if we'll ever get back to what we thought was normal. I don't know if we'll ever have a calm election. I don't know if they won't throw up another, another disease. I don't know. I don't know if the economy will ever get better. There's a whole lot of unknowns, and if I feed myself with all those unknowns, then I'm going to unknown how to walk with Jesus. We're feeding on the wrong stuff. It is possible to get rid of your phone, to get rid of your TV, to hang on to your Bible, and still live in this technological world. You will be accused of being weird. In the kingdom of God today, weird is good. Weird's a compliment. Who you voting for for president? Jesus. <laughs> Mr. Revival. That's who I'm voting for. Because my hope's not in man. Had a guy walking here the other day, called me out of the blue. He walks in, he introduces himself. I was vacuuming the floors. He walks in, he goes, and I knew him. I said, hey, Mr. So-and-so. He said, you remember my name? I said, yeah. He says, um, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I said, well, good. I'm not. He said, really? I said, no. So he starts talking about all this end time satellites in Alaska. It was just weird. And I'm like, bro, I just stopped him and said, bro, I don't think about that. He goes, you don't? I said, no. Well, I'm glad you don't have to think about it. I said, you don't have to think about it either. I said, I think about what the Bible says. Jesus told me to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. That's what I focus on. Not satellites in Alaska. Come on, somebody. I'm not looking for Scotty to beam me up. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not. You got to be careful what you feed yourself. So if you do anything consistently, you'll see some results. Eat Frosted Flakes for six months. You'll see some results. Eat McDonald's for six months. We'll, we'll celebrate you at the funeral. Just like whatever. And you can, you can do anything consistently and you'll see some results. And my point is this, is that if you'll just consistently spend time with Jesus. But listen, it's not just even the, 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 the technical thing of sitting down with his scriptures in the morning in one spot and, and singing kumbaya. Those, that's great. That's, that's vital. But listen to me. Jesus gets up from that meeting too. It's walking with Jesus as you go. He walks with you through your whole day. My goal in life right now is to hear Jesus 24-7. What do you want me to do in every situation? When I go to the lumber yard, when I'm driving down 190, oh, God, help me. <laughs> Jesus, I need to, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, run over this person, that person, that person. But sometimes we take for granted how impactful the little things done over and over again are. So to live a life in the light, you must live a life of surrender. Daily surrender. Let me, let me just break a lie. You don't surrender one time. 
Sometimes you don't even surrender once in a day. The title of the message is From Shame to Surrender. Well, what's the value in surrender? The value in surrender is staying close to Jesus. Not me, Lord. Not me. I give my life to you. Not what other people think. I give my life to you. Surrender. Surrender my rights. I surrender my rights. As a human, as an American, I surrender my rights. And let me tell you something. The more I surrender my rights as a human and as an American, the more Jesus I get, the more kingdom I experience because there's less of me and there's more of him. Because it sounds great to follow the light and you'll leave the darkness, but we struggle to follow the light. Why? Because we really struggle to surrender. How many of you got an opinion? Come on. If you didn't raise your hand, shame off of you. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. To surrender is to relinquish your rights to run your own life. Spiritual maturity is not just getting saved. Spiritual maturity is learning how to die well. To die daily. So in order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to stop following yourself. And you're going to have to stop following the world. And the only way to leave shame behind is to follow after Jesus. And that's going to require surrender. Come on, worship team. So shame, shame is friendly to help you recognize your sin, but evil to keep you focused on it. Shame is friendly to help you recognize your sin, but it's evil to keep you focused on it. So put your notes away. Just dim the lights a little bit. Where's your shame coming from? I want you to name it today. Where's your shame coming from? Maybe multiple places. multiple places is it from your greatest failure even though there's not a lot of people that know about it there's words I wish I could take back but I can't there's actions I wish I could change but I can't go back and change them 
My past is in my past. I can't change my past. But I don't need to be chained to my past. What is the one failure, the one mistake, maybe the multiple mistakes that you think about the most? I want you to name it today. Because I'm convinced that that's the very thing that the enemy is using to hold you back. And oh, let me tell you, there's no freedom like the freedom that Jesus gives. You can lose 100 pounds and not feel as light as you do when you get rid of shame. It's heavier than muscle. What is the accuser screaming at you today? What is he telling you today? What is the familiar thing that you could probably just say it in a heartbeat that he, he tells you all the time? What's the thing from your past that you can't get rid of? You can't even quit thinking about it. What have you not forgotten about yourself? Lord, help us today to shuck the shame, Lord, to shake it off. Lord, some of us need to forgive ourselves. You've forgiven us. Willing to wash us clean, but we're struggling to forgive ourselves, Lord. I feel like there's a bunch of us in this room that just are having a hard time forgiving yourself. Lord, help us to walk out from the darkness of shame into your marvelous light. Holy Ghost, lead us in this moment. Oh God, who knows every dark secret of ours, every dark action of ours, every dark thought we've ever had. Oh God, who knows all of that, who still chooses to love us, would you lead us out today? Jesus, would you meet us like the woman caught in adultery? Would you meet us in a place where shame has become our new name. Would you give us a new name? Like son, like daughter, like free, like life. Thank you. 